So as Tim has said, the first reading can be found in the Church Bibles on page 1207. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, verses 23 to 28. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Our second reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, which can be found on page 1249 of the Church Bibles, um, chapter 21, beginning at verse 1 and reading through to verse 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the phone saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death.
Well, thank you very much. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you may speak to us clearly this morning from your word to bring us uh, comfort, to bring us challenge, to bring us understanding, to bring us yourself, we pray, for your name's sake. Amen. Well, as you can see from the screen, we're going to be looking this morning at just those three verses. Uh, where it's on the screen, three verses. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 26, 27, uh, and 28 as part of our first reading that Camilla read for us. Visibility, less than two yards. Pause every 150 feet of the climb. Arduous ascent. Muscles and nerves at breaking point. The rumble of enemy artillery and mortars. Explosions 60 feet above us. Men slip, fall six or seven feet, risk breaking their backs. Such human suffering. Packs, weapons. I joke with the others. Nights black, visibility zero. We trample over corpses, they're ours, one with no head, guts spilling out. That was written by a commando in the Second World War. Back this last June, we had a summer holiday, and Anna and I took the car, and the children joined us later on. And as the ferry docked in the port, there was a sea mist, but it was gradually clearing, and then just to the right of where we had docked, there was this lovely beach which spread for miles and miles, lovely sandy beach stretching for miles to the west. It was Juno Beach one of the five D-Day beaches. And we'd arrived, just by coincidence really, I'd booked the ferry, but we arrived on the 6th of June, on D-Day, 72 years late. And uh, the day when 156,000 Allied troops landed on the beaches of Normandy. We went along to Omaha Beach, the focus of the American landings. It's known as Bloody Omaha because of the number of casualties the Americans suffered there. 3,686 just on the 6th of June on Omaha Beach. Almost all American. And if you go to the American cemetery above Omaha Beach, there are gravestones almost as far as you can see. And that's just of those where the families didn't want their sons, their loved ones repatriated. Those are just the ones who the families were content that they should be buried where they fell. The Battle of Normandy, which followed, claimed 425,000 Allied and German casualties. 
Here's the German war cemetery. Two bodies to a plot. And this year, we remember the 100th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, didn't we, on the 1st of July. And on that day in 1916, it was the worst day in the history of the British Army. 57,470 casualties. And you may remember um, from the television pictures and so on, the, uh, the ceremony uh, on that day at Thiepval. That is the memorial to the 72,000 officers of the British and South African armies who died on the Somme and have no known grave. I went to their website and I searched for Moon. It's not a very common name. I thought there may be one or two uh, of those 72,000. There are 14 moons remembered of those who have no known grave at Thiepval on the Somme. Alfred, Frederick, another Frederick, George, Herbert, Horace, John, Joseph, Reginald, Sidney, Thomas, Walter, Wilfred, and William Moon. Amongst that number, amongst that 14, six of them were sergeants, the rest were privates. No officers, it seems that uh, Moon's didn't make good officer material. But it was all a long time ago, isn't it? How about more recently? Maybe we know families bereaved. Maybe we've lost friends ourselves. We maybe even know the Brennan family from Shoreham. That's James. He was born in Shoreham, a lance corporal, working on electronic warfare and an intelligence analyst. He was one of the last British soldiers to lose their lives in Afghanistan, shot on patrol in Helmand province. His family said he had the heart of a lion. Well, today it is appropriate, isn't it, that in quietness and respect, we remember those who have given their lives in the service of their country, that we remember their sacrifice, and that we thank God for them. Today, it is appropriate, isn't it, that we should wear a poppy, and we're thankful that the English and Scottish football teams wore poppies on the 11th day of the 11th month that they played as they played at Wembley on Friday evening. Today, we remember. And it's good and right that we should do so as Christian people. In fact, for Christian people, actually, every Sunday, every Sunday is a remembrance Sunday. In fact, every day is a remembrance day if we're Christian people, because we are a remembering people. And uh, what we do today, therefore, for Christians, is a perfectly normal thing for us to do. And actually, Christian people in particular, of course, we want to remember Jesus and we remember his death for us. Which is why I wanted to look just at those three verses in Hebrews chapter 9. 
If you want to understand Christianity, it is good to ponder these verses. And what we learn of Christ's death here is very significant. It's very important. We see, uh, first of all, that it is a death that happened once. The writer to the Hebrews here, he's talking about uh, this old sacrificial system that the Jewish people used to carry out. Uh, They had to carry it out continually, day by day, to pay for their sins. And in verse 25, it talks about just once a year there, where the high priest uh, would year on year go to the Holy of Holies in the temple, the place which represented where God would meet with his people. And then after an elaborate system of sacrifices for his his sins and the sins of the people, uh, he would then go into the Holy of Holies. And it's scary because they thought that maybe God would not accept that sacrifice. Maybe uh, it wouldn't be sufficient. Maybe it hadn't been carried out properly. And they had to keep on doing it year by year by year on that special day and in all sorts of ways making animal sacrifices for human sinfulness. But he's saying here now, now there's a new way. There's a new sacrifice being made for human sinfulness. A perfect sacrifice that needs to be made just once. A perfect sacrifice that now covers all human sin and wrongdoing and rebellion against God. And it's done it for all time. A perfect and a timeless sacrifice. Perfect and timeless because Jesus was and is God. Coming to this earth in the flesh. Making a sacrifice for human sin, our wrongdoing, our rebellion Um, by giving himself God the perfect timeless ruler of all creation making this one off sacrifice of himself for you and for me for all our past sins and you know for all our future rebellion too and so Jesus appeared and he died once once for all the perfect sacrifice for our rebellion. And the second thing we see here that it is that it was a sacrifice. It was sacrificial. He suffered and died as a sacrifice for our sins in our place. Not dying for his own rebellion, for his own sin, for he had none. He lived a perfect life. But instead he died for our Rebellion against God for you and for me. Now we know war is hideous. We are reminded of that this weekend. We're reminded of that when we see uh, human uh, injured service men and women. I don't know if you saw the Festival of Remembrance in Albert Hall last night. Wasn't it moving when that serviceman Uh, on his artificial legs, brought in the book of remembrance. And we hear stories, don't we, of great personal bravery and sacrifice. This citation accompanied the award of a military cross. He was completely unperturbable under heavy artillery and mortar fire. 
showing complete disregard for his own safety. He has been completely unsparing of himself. And that's why this weekend is so moving, isn't it? It's always moving when we hear stories of personal sacrifice and bravery. And even from, from everyday events. Just on 30 years ago now, I guess it would be, 16th of um, August 1987, as a Northwest Airlines plane took off from Detroit and uh, tragically crashed soon afterwards. There were 155 people on that flight who perished. But there was one who survived, a four-year-old girl from Arizona called Cecilia. And the news reports were that when they found Cecilia, they didn't believe she'd been on the plane. They uh, couldn't believe that she might have survived uh, the crash, almost unscathed. But when they checked the passenger manifest, there was Cecilia's name. She'd been traveling with her mum, Paula. And when they knew the plane was going down, Paula actually unbuckled her seatbelt and she got down in front of her knees, in, uh, in, on her knees in front of her four-year-old daughter. And, uh, uh, and she wrapped her arms and her body around Cecilia. And in so doing, she protected her not just from the crash, the impact, but also from the flames which then followed. And quite miraculously, Cecilia walked out of that plane. The crash which had claimed the life of her mum and everyone else on board. And Cecilia owes her life to her mum's sacrifice and is a sacrifice today and every day <clears throat> that Christians ponder, that Christians Remember, you look at the end of verse 26 on page 1207 of our Bibles, and it says, talks about Jesus, and uh, talking about doing away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And the beginning of verse 28, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel when you think of the sacrifices of the Second World War ridding this world of Nazi tyranny? How does it make you feel when you think of the 456 UK military deaths in Afghanistan since 2001? Sacrifices for our safety and freedom and security. And of course we thank God today for those men and women. We also thank God today for one man, in particular, much longer ago, who deliberately sacrificed himself to the wrath of God, taking on our rebellion and our sin and dying for you and for me. And the third thing about this sacrifice was that it was epoch-ending. Look at verse 26. He says, Otherwise Christ 
would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages. Or other versions have the end of the ages. This death of Jesus ended, brought to a head, and drew a line under all human existence before that one event. They used to call, didn't they, the the, uh, First World War, the Great War. The war to end all wars. Until 21 years later, the Second World War began. But Jesus' death truly was the death to end all death. That's why we had that reading from Revelation. Talking about the new heaven and the new earth, which we'll get to in a minute where there will be no more death of anyone, ever. Now, before Jesus' death, sin ruled. There was no hope for mankind. There was no solution to man's greatest problem of sin and death. But when Jesus died, he brought an end to that epoch. He brought an end to that human history, all human history, in fact, up to that point. Because from that point onwards, from that point onwards, there is now a solution to sin and death. So that we don't have to uh, die and to suffer this awful eternal separation from God any longer. Because Jesus' death was a fantastic victory for goodness, for right, for God over sin and death and the devil. And on that cross of Christ, on that one day at Calvary, as he died, the devil was dealt a mortal blow on the cross of Christ. It was the end of that epoch that came to a decisive end as Jesus died. And a new age, a new epoch was opening up. And the consequences of Jesus' death, the results, the application of Jesus' death, we can now see as we look to the future and as we remember the future. So we remember Jesus' death. And then second, I want to say this morning, we remember the future. When we remember today the sacrifices of war, it's important and significant that we do so. I hope we will always do this as a country. But as we do so, we remember these many, many sacrifices and the pain that people still bear today. And we remember it for time. The significant difference with Jesus' death is that it will be remembered both for time and it impacts and will be remembered for eternity too. And so we look ahead and look in verse 28. He says, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This little passage, it talks about two appearings. 
The first, as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which we remember in whatever it is, eight, eight weeks time or something, at Christmas. That was his first appearing. And then this passage say, says, he will appear a second time. Now, how do we know that? We know that Jesus will appear a second time, not just because it says it here, but it says it here because Jesus was raised from the death. Because there was a resurrection. Because Jesus is alive now. Because Jesus is reigning in heaven now. And because of the resurrection, we know that his resurrection was the first of the resurrection, the general resurrection, when everyone will be raised, when he appears, when he returns, when he comes this second time. Jesus' first coming was in one place at one time. Jesus' second coming or second appearing will be for all to see. It will be at the end of time and it will be a global event. It will be sudden and it will complete his mission of bringing salvation to the world. Now Jesus' return, he will return and when he does, he will introduce this new heaven and this new earth that we were reading about in our second reading. This new creation with God once again living with his people in peace and in love and in security. Look at the end of verse 28 again. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So when he returns, he won't need to bear sin a second time. Because when he did it the first time on the cross of Calvary, he did that to perfection. He did that to completion. He did that for, uh, for you and for me, for those who will trust in him and accept that for themselves. But when he comes a second time, when he returns to this world for all to see him and in glory, he will come to complete this work of salvation which he began at his cross. So he comes, we remember the future, and when he comes, he will come bringing salvation. And who is this for? Who is this for? When he comes back, we can be part of that, but who is this for when he, recomes, when he comes back? Well, right at the end of verse 28, he says this, he will come to bring salvation, that is to bring heaven, that is to bring glory. That is to bring eternity. That is to bring the most wonderful future existence. Who for? To those who are waiting for him. Those who are waiting for Jesus. Now, in this world, some people are waiting for him. Christian people who understand and know these things will be waiting for him. But there are many, many in this world who are not Maybe they haven't got a clue about the second coming. But this salvation that Jesus uh, is going to return and that he will bring will be for those who are waiting. So the question is, are we ready and waiting for Jesus' return? Are we ready and waiting because we know him now and because we're looking forward to this salvation that we already have in part, but we will be complete when Jesus returns.
Now, it seems to me there are two sorts of people who won't be waiting when Jesus returns. First, there are the people who've never heard about it. Never heard of Jesus and never heard of his return. But it won't be us in that category because we have heard of Jesus and we have heard of his return. The question is, are you waiting? The second category of people uh, who will will, uh, not be ready and not waiting are those who have heard of Jesus and they've heard of his return but they've ignored it, or they didn't believe it, or they didn't give it any time to think about it, they didn't get around to believing it. Or maybe they were thinking, they must, uh, I really must think about it some way. Or maybe they just didn't realize how important and how urgent it was. Or maybe they didn't really believe that Jesus would come back one day. Well, why not? Why not make this remembrance someday? Uh, a time when you would say to Jesus a simple prayer like this. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. I am waiting for your return. And please help me to live for you while I wait. Today, we remember and we thank God And we have a huge respect for those who have died, who have given their lives, who have made that ultimate sacrifice, both in war and in conflicts. And we remember Jesus, and we know that he died for us. And we thank God for him, that one day he will return, bringing salvation to those who are waiting for him going to lead us now in this prayer that's on the screen and do echo that quietly in your hearts if you'd like to. Derek, could we just pop that up again, do you think? So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me I am waiting for your return. Please help me to live for you while I wait for your name's sake. Amen.